Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. Our next guest is someone that knows what it's like to head to a football training camp and actually be on the field, unlike us. Uh, T-Bone mentioned as one of the main voices on CBS. Uh, yesterday, we got to see the early uh, you know, broadcasters that will have some of the Panther games in the first few weeks. They'll have that week three game early on against Seattle on CBS for the Panthers. We want to know what he thinks about the Panthers' outlook and maybe this running back situation as well. It's very hot right now. He is Charles Davis from CBS and the NFL Network. Charles, it's go time, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good to hear your guys' voices again. Looking forward to uh, another great year of football, and I love what you talk about the specialists. Remember in Baltimore when, when you know, obviously Justin Tucker is the great kicker? Yeah. Remember Sam Cook was the punter forever? Yeah. Morgan Cox, yeah. long snapper. They called themselves the Wolf Pack. I don't know if they grabbed that from the hangover <laughs> or what the was, but maybe you guys might be onto something there. They might all be down there doing that. Those so dudes are tight. Cool. It's a tight-knit group, man. It is. It's a bond. I didn't have uh, Charles mentioning Morgan Cox off the bat here, but that, that's the depth of his knowledge. Charles, when you're allowed to leave practice halfway through and go golfing, you know what I mean? And leave, like, that's a bond the three of those gentlemen will get. Uh, all right. Let, let's jump hey, in. Real quick, real, quick, real quick, real quick off of that one. When I was in college, I remember at being in Tennessee and being out there, and you know, every now and then you actually have to go to the bathroom. And so I was like, Coach, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. <laughs> and of course, it was all kinds of grief. And I ran inside to go to the bathroom, and our specialists in the middle of our locker room. We're playing wiffle ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. Oh, that God. is so classic. J- JJ's going to get us for all this conversation. Yep, yep. Um, all right, let's talk about Bryce Young. Obviously, we can't wait. I mean, you know how it's going to go, uh, Charles, with a rookie QB. Every throw at camp we're going to overreact to. We're so excited about him. What do you think are realistic expectations? Like, do you expect... I mean, there's some people telling us, hey, you just it's its almost impossible to win with a rookie QB. There are others that believe he's so mature and, and smart that he's the type of guy that can handle year one. What do you expect from him? Yeah, I expect him more of the latter than the former, but I also don't expect him to have to be a savior. You know, I don't expect him to come in and have to throw for 5,000 yards, all right? Because, look, if that's happening, he's probably throwing for 35 interceptions as well. So that's just kind of how we're looking. You know, that's the way I look at it. And all the things you laid out, Mac, are so true, right? We've had quarterbacks as rookies who've come in, had success. Matt Ryan went 11-5, and went to the playoffs with Atlanta. Andy Dalton went to the playoffs with Cincinnati. You know, you guys remember Cam's first two games were 400-400. It's not like they can't do it. We know they can. 
of course they're going to have bumps in the road. I mean, heck, John Elway didn't want to play for the Colts, got traded. The original original Bobber, say, who owned the Colts, put a bounty on his head when you could do that back in the NFL. <laughs> and they beat him up in his first game ever as an NFL player. So all of that is true. But I think Bryce Young is going to handle it well. He always has. He's done it at every level. I don't think that this will be different. But I do think that Scott Fitterer does not get enough credit as the GM for what he's done in free agency and the draft the last couple of seasons because I think the pieces are in place to help Bryce Young acclimate well to the NFL. Charles, can you recall a quarterback uh, in terms of a high draft pick being set up as well as Bryce Young is in year one? When you look at the coaching staff, the back of an Andy Dalton, who's very cerebral and will help him out as a leader, and then a guy like Adam Thielen as a veteran. Have you, can you recall a quarterback entering a setup where there's that much there for him to learn from? You know, I don't want it's a great question, and, you know, it's easy to go to recency, right? Because it was right here in front of us. But I think you're, I think it's a legitimate conversation, and we could probably sit around and, you know, break, break out a Dr. Pepper or something and start going back through rosters. But to your point, Thielen coming in as a veteran receiver, they've got Hayden Hurst as a tight end who's a pass catcher, and that's a quarterback's best friend, Young. They brought in a runner in Miles Sanders. They keep beefing up the offensive line. I don't know what's going to happen at the one-guard spot, but I do think Chandler Zavala from NC State competes for that job right away. You know, I just like the pieces they put in play. Oh, yeah, don't forget the rookie receiver, Mingo, who can grow with the rookie rookie quarterback, Bryce Young. I just like the feel of this team, plus a defense that doesn't get enough credit because they were on the field too much last year. So their numbers are not reflective of how good I think this defense can be. And Jeremy Chin back full-time. That's huge to me. Yeah. I wanted to ask you uh, about that defense. Uh, You're right. There was a regression statistically last year from the year before when they were number two statistically in the league. But, man, there's so much young talent. And I'm really excited about the combination of that young talent and Ejiro Averro coming in to coordinate this defense. I mean, are you are you thinking it's can it be a top 10 unit? I mean, how good can they be? Yes, they can be a top 10 unit. There's no doubt in my mind. Um Got to see Ajiro Averro up close last year with Denver. We had Denver twice last year. And in both cases, the defense did a really nice job. I mean, heck, Kansas City's always going to put up points, right? We know that. But they picked off Patrick Mahomes three times in that game. If you guys haven't seen, you know, quarterback on Netflix and, you know, Peyton Manning's latest offering, and I texted Peyton and said, can you just do one thing that's mediocre in your life, please? Can you just... (laughs) try that just one time um it was was phenomenal but in that game they picked him off three times and gave themselves a chance i just like where they're headed i like him as a coordinator i think they're going to respond to him very very well similar to how they responded to steve wilkes guys okay they're going to respond to evro the same way i believe the talent is there and let's be honest about it the division you can legitimately make a case for all four teams in that division to win it. I've been making the case most of this summer, and this is not because we're on air with each other right now. You can go find it elsewhere. 
I picked Carolina to win the division. Wow, well, about that? What a way to start camp! And I was going to ask you, Charles, because Mac and I, it's going to shock you. Uh, we've taken some heat here internally from our boss, Jeff Rickard, who also hosts here after us. That yeah. that 10 wins, that area for the Panthers might be too pie in the sky, unrealistic. So do you think that, that 10 wins is, is about where the Panthers can get to this year? I think 10's a stretch, but I think 10's a stretch for every team in the division. See, I'm, I'm putting this more as okay. nine and eight, nine and eight, eight and nine. Who comes out of it with the win? Yeah. Can they get to ten? Sure. Like we can make the case for every team to find a way, right? It's the old, you know, the phys- the physicist to tell you uh, that you know the hummingbird can hold on to an elephant. You know, I mean, you know, all right, cool, got it, <laughs> I got you. The bottom line is very simply, I think it's a division that's very jumbled up. Division play is going to count. It's not going to be like the Giants last year who made the playoffs winning one game in the NFC East. You're going to have to win this division, like legitimately win it, and it's all that internal combination of who did you beat within your division. I think the Panthers can do it because I like the quarterback that much, but I like what they've built up around him to allow him to be that young quarterback and go play. Because let's be honest, who's got the most experienced quarterback? New Orleans does. But he's in a brand new place. This is not him with his same team and same system, et cetera. He's got to learn some yeah. stuff, too. No, that's true. That's true. Charles Davis with us, CBS and the NFL Network. We were talking right before uh, we brought you on about what's going on with the running backs uh, and the struggles of uh, Pollard and Jacobs and, and Barkley as franchise players to get the big contracts. It's gotten to the point where there was a running back Zoom meeting on Saturday. Tons of people in the NFL media are bringing brainstorming, hey, what can we do to get these running backs some more compensation? How do you view this? Do you view this as someone needs to help them get more money? Or do you view this as, man, I hate it for you, but it's just kind of the the direction the game's gone? Listen, I'm all in favor of someone getting people more money. I'd like for them to start with me, okay? (laughs) The game has moved in such a direction that Again, the game's never been more quarterback-centric than it is right now. And I say that every single season, and I've been saying it probably the last seven years or so where I've really had conviction about it. Everything runs through the quarterback. We used to be able to play around our quarterbacks and still have success. All right, think about the number of teams that were really good football teams. Some even won championships, and the quarterback was not the focal point of their offense. All right, that's how we, we've been able to do it in the past. I don't know that we can do that now. The way offense runs now, I don't think you can play around your quarterback. Your quarterback has to be a focal point. You've got to play through him. The runner, for me growing up at the age of 58, the runner was predominant when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Think about the state of Texas. Let's just use that one. Darrell Royal put in the wishbone, and everyone in the state of Texas was running the football. It was like that across. It swept the country, the whole deal. You went and got runners, right? Now, the state of Texas, they they send you pitchers and catchers. So I feel for these running backs. I absolutely do. Austin Eckler made a great point. You know, (laughs) if we we go for 2,000-plus yards total offense, the next year they say, well, we just wore them down. We can't do that anymore. (laughs) They can't win, and I feel for them. But here's the bottom line. If somehow they all band together and say, hey, guys, we're not going to play unless they start hitting our salary demands, cool. They'll all sit out. Do you really think all the runners behind them will sit out with them? 
No. There you go. No, because <laughs> no. that, that's going to that's going to open up opportunity for others, man. It's just it's 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 a tough spot for them. They take a beating. I get their feelings, but I'm kind of uh, where you're and at, Charles. On that. Some uh, breaking news while we're talking: Saquon Barkley has signed a new one-year, eleven million dollar deal with the Giants this morning. Okay, interesting. You, are you guys sitting? Are you guys sitting down doing this show? Yes, yes. yes. We're down. We're, we're safe. If if you were standing, would that have shot? Would that have, would that have buckled your legs? No. You knew this was coming. <laughs> yes. <Duh. No. laughs> I mean, you all knew it was coming. That was an easy one. Like, okay, just at what point? I have to admit, my only surprise is that it happened this quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's a good point. I thought this thing was going to at least go into camp. And Charles, you know um, us pretty well by now. Standing's too much exercise for Mac and I during the morning hours. Are you kidding me, man? Are you, we're standing. My knees can buckle sitting, Charles. <laughs> and, and, and don't forget with this Barkley thing, guys. This is a Giants team that last year exceeded expectations. And would I say among the three of us, without me trying to be the influencer, you guys are your own people, they outplayed their roster last year. I don't think there's any right. ifs, ands, and buts about it to me. That roster last year, what Brian Dayball and his crew did, sensational. But 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 this is one of those ones where we're talking about the devaluation of running backs. Not for the Giants. Yeah. Not for the Giants. Yeah. If they want to have success, they need 26 on the field. They actually run through him. Daniel Jones got a $40 million a year contract, right? He threw 15 touchdown passes last year. Yeah, and I'm sure that's what Saquon's age has been saying to the Giants all along. Um, but they got no him in the fold. And the, Giants, and the Giants understand it, too. Yeah. In their division, the way they are constituted right now, he is a big factor and a need for them. I think that was good recognition by the Giants, good recognition by Saquon wanting to play. And I just wonder if there's going to be times he wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes, the number was at thirteen million that he turned down. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no, that's a good. That's a very good point. Very good point. All right, Charles, you are the man. We Thanks, can't Charles. wait to hear you on the call, Week Three, Panther Seahawks. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. We're actually very excited about that game. We thought they were sending us elsewhere. That was a very nice surprise to find that out yesterday. We're fired up to go to Seattle and see the Panthers. Awesome, can't man. wait to see you out there, there buddy. You go. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon, Show. 
Panthers vets reporting to training camp down in Wofford, Spartanburg, South Carolina. What are the most important position battles on the defensive side of the football? We want to hear your thoughts. 704-570-9610. Again, that number is 704-570-9610. We didn't get to a lot of this yesterday. We touched on it a little bit. Defensive tackle. Wes talked about that. Shy Tuttle, Deshaun Williams, a couple battles going on there. Bravion Roy, a holdover from the Matt Rule era. And also you have Marquand McCall on this team, who are going to be the guys that make the 53-man roster. That are some of the questions that we have as the defensive players and just a lot of the vets, everybody, reporting today before they start practice tomorrow. I wanted to talk about the defensive potential as a whole as well. Because Mina Kimes on ESPN, I think NFL Live yesterday, she talked about Ajero Avero having the kind of impact on this team to where this could be the best defense in the NFC South and not just Avero, but another addition they made this offseason would help them reach the top spot in the division as well. They needed a couple things to turn that sort of promise into realized potential, and I think they added both of them. One was the hiring of their defensive coordinator, Ajero Evero, who many people thought would be a head coach by now around the league, coming from Denver, where he did a fantastic job with that group. And then one of my favorite free agency signings this entire offseason was them adding Von Bell at safety. Jiro's defenses use a lot of disguise. Those safeties are constantly rotating post-snap. And to have a veteran safety there pairing in with Jeremy Chin and Xavier Woods, who has a lot of experience doing that in Cincinnati, to me, it was the final piece, and it's the thing that I think is going to bring this defense together in 2023. We've talked about the position history with this Carolina Panthers franchise, and it is rich at the linebacker position. You can go days and days naming all pro. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's actually crazy to talk about all of the talent that they've had at the linebacker spot. Safety is not one of those positions that is rich in history. Mike Minner is the best. A very good safety, not all pro guy ever, but a very good safety and I think is going to be kind of dicey whether we see his name on the ring of honor. It's one of those. It's it's in that neighborhood of it could go either way. But after that, what are the other safeties that we're pointing to? Kurt Coleman had a very good year. You got mad at me for saying an awesome year. Okay. (laughs) When you are that high in interceptions, I think it's an awesome year. But again, the longevity isn't there for Kurt Coleman. Now the safety depth, it's real. Jamie Robinson is your fifth-round pick. Xavier Woods was a good depth piece last season. Feel totally comfortable with him back there in the secondary. And now you bring in Jeremy Chin alongside Von Bell, who Mina Kimes is talking about right there. So if your secondary holds up, especially on the outside with the cornerbacks and Dante Jackson and J.C. Horn, of course, we feel very good about Dante, not as much. But if he can stay healthy, then... I think it's okay. I feel comfortable enough with what they have on that side of the ball, especially with the Jero Avero working really well with what he had in Denver at actual very similar strengths with that Denver Broncos defense that he was working with last year. What do you make of Mina Kimes' comments that the potential that they've always had the last couple of years could be realized in the form of them being the top defense in the division? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that the thing is, is that, like, you know, Avero is going to do some things schematically that I think is all, it's already going to improve this defense, right? But now, as great as players as Brian Burns is, as great as a player as J.C. Horn when healthy is, as productive as Shaq Thompson can be, you now got a guy back there in Von Bell 
that knows the game, that is going to know how to get guys organized and get them lined up to, to, to be in the, the places they need to get to to play football at, at a really high level, and they haven't had that. So you're going to have structure from your coaching staff, which you need. But you're also going to have on-field structure with, with Von Bell back there as a guy that really helped elevate uh, a pretty below-average defense at first in Cincinnati to one that was helping them go to back-to-back AFC Championship game appearances and stuff like that. And what I find interesting, Walker, is when I first got into the NFL, it felt like you had to have a dynamic safety to be a really, really good defense. That's kind of changed now. But I think you're seeing in, in, in certain schemes and stuff like that, if you've got an experienced veteran safety that knows what he's doing back there, it makes a difference. And he's going to help this team, I think, take that next step forward to being a top 10 defense, both in points, yards, and all the other metrics that matter. Yeah, safety was viewed as kind of one of these positions, I would say, I don't know, before really the last five years that maybe you could save some money on. So it was a little bit of a roller coaster in that regard. Maybe you think about the the era of the great safeties. You can go to Brian Dawkins and Ed Reed, whoever you want to roll with. And then maybe it was viewed as somewhat running back light in the Mm -hmm. sense you could save money at that position. I think it's actually trending in the other direction now. I think what you're starting to see are guys that can play at a lot of different areas, having the queen on the chessboard. Having the Buda Baker that does a lot of stuff in Arizona, big time paid safety. Having someone like a Jamal Adams who plays great up front, but also you trust on the back end. He got a big old payday when he was traded from the Jets to Seattle and it was just that New York didn't want to pay him. So you're starting to see these versatile pieces. You have one with the potential in Jeremy Chen. And I think that's why you really like Von Bell coming over to this team. So if Von Bell's not going to be the chess piece, if he's just going to be rolling back there in the secondary and you feel great about it, now you can have Jeremy Chin at a lot of different spots. We're over. And I know Phil Snow and Jeremy Chin, the rumors were that they didn't get along a ton because Jeremy Chin didn't love his role. I wonder if Chin wanted to play closer to the line of scrimmage like he did years before and just did not because they didn't have enough bodies. And so Jeremy Chin had to go back to the safety position once they got back a Frankie Louvu, a Shaq Thompson, maybe a little bit more depth at that linebacker spot, especially with Louvu breaking out. But here in this write-up on ESPN, you can talk about the 53-man projection. Safety only has four guys, but all four of them could play pretty significant roles with Jamie Robinson being a wild card. Here's the write-up. The addition of Bell not only improved the talent level, it freed up Jeremy Chen to play multiple positions that should be key for this defense. Chin spent most of OTAs in the big nickel spot, but he can cover deep. He can play outside linebacker and you can create matchup problems for teams that have standouts at tight end and in the slot. He struggled in coverage before. So I hope that the coverage of arrows coaching can help him in that regard. But if he is better at covering tight ends, then yeah, you can use him in a lot of different ways while not sacrificing talent on the back end because you went out and you got Von Bell. Hell, Lou Anarumo. Great defensive coordinator for Cincinnati that really came on strong. Von Bell, he used him a lot in mm-hmm. the sense that he was being able to go creative uh, schemes all across the board, right? Avero is that guy for us. Von Bell can be that guy. Jeremy Chin can be one of the versatile prototypical safeties that moves all across the board. Love what you have with that potential, again, to continue to use the word, the theme that Mina Kimes is rolling with, except this year it can be realized to where we might have a top 10 defense in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like when, when Jeremy Chin got moved back off the line of scrimmage, it didn't make a lot of sense given how much success he had playing close to the line, but it felt like Matt Rule and, and Phil Snow, 
they they needed him back there, but they, they, they took away what, what he's best at, which is being a unicorn, a guy that can do a bunch of different things. I thought Xavier Woods was going to be a guy that was really going to stabilize the back end of the defense. It didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to. He wasn't Evans, bad, though. He wasn't bad, but like I saw him in Dallas make some really nice plays. I thought they would be more more frequent here in Carolina. That didn't happen. But if Von Bell can hold down the back end, and you can see Jeremy Chin line up you know, next to or opposite Brian Burns and rush the quarterback. I know Mac was talking about seeing him in the nickel spot, and he got really giddy seeing him maybe be a nickel corner for this defense and stuff like that. If he can do all those different things, cover tight ends and stuff like that, I think you're going to see the best version of himself. And I know Wes kind of laughed at us calling him like Troy, Palomo, Troy Palomalu light or whatever. It's always been exaggerated. But this can be a guy that can do a bunch of different things for you defensively, which will make up some of the areas where you are deficient in, which is opposite pass rusher, and there's concerns in that cornerback room well and and i'll defend phil snow in this i thought it was totally reasonable for him to move back to safety because that's the position you drafted him to play i know that he was better up front i know he was better at close to the line of scrimmage but also he was so young it wasn't written in stone that he couldn't play on the back end anymore yeah like here we are talking about a guy defensive rookie of the year second in the voting process i've mentioned a million times okay that kind of potential on that side of the ball second year you have injuries he moves closer he balls out and now everybody's like wait maybe this is the right spot but it doesn't mean that you were never going to put him back Right. It doesn't mean that you were never going to put him back in the secondary where you originally drafted him to play like you didn't draft him to play linebacker. That was never in the cards, at least at the beginning. But now it kind of is. And so I thought it was totally fine to experiment with him going back to the position you drafted him to play. It didn't work out as much. Maybe you're not comfortable with the with the timeline Phil Snow was on. Maybe you thought he should have brought him closer to the line of scrimmage a little earlier. But now we know. Now we know. And so we'll see exactly how Ajero Vero decides to use him. And you have help. You didn't have as much help at the safety spot in yeah. the last couple of seasons. Now you have help with Von Bell. Here we are talking about the secondary position battles. Safety will be interesting just because you're deep and they can all be on the field at the same time. Now you're going to have multiple cornerbacks out on the field as well. But I don't know if that's a good thing outside of the outside guys and Dante Jackson and J.C. Horn. And it's all about them staying healthy anyway. Ryan Clark said the same thing on NFL Live discussing their availability that directly impacts just how good this defense can be. When you look at J.C. Horn, I think people are starting to forget he was drafted before Patrick Sertan the second. They're both coming off of season-ending injuries in which J.C. Horn has suffered his first two years in the league. He's also missed time this offseason. Dante Jackson coming off of an Achilles. If those two men are healthy and 100%, this could be the best defense in the NFC South. And if they are, and then Bryce Young continues to come along on the offensive side of the ball, especially with this coaching staff that's assembled around him, this team could win the NFC South and be one of those teams that drafted first overall because they were able to move up and found themselves in the playoffs. I just don't have a ton of confidence that both guys are going to stay healthy this season. If it keeps happening, then at some point it's on us to just not fool ourselves into expecting that it's, they're going to start, what, 14 games? Mm -hmm. J.C. Horn I have more hope for. J.C. Horn, he's been in the league two years. It goes a little bit along the same lines I was talking about with Jeremy Chin. His history, or his future, I should say, is not written yet. We don't know. J.C. Horn is such a young player. He's already very good. If he stays on the field, 
we're probably giving him more love. And Ryan Clark is not talking about J.C. Horn was drafted before Patrick Sertan. Instead, you're talking about how great the two guys were drafted back to back instead of acting like it was some mistake Carolina made drafting J.C. Horn instead of Patrick Sertan. I, I have more faith just because there's more unknown with J.C. to me to say that he can stay on the field. Dante Jackson, not as much. Well, I mean, you got to look at the injury history, too. Like, like, like what J.C. suffered in, as his rookie year was kind of just a, a freak accident that kind of happened. I mean, and look, I know science has come a really long way. I can attest that I haven't torn my ACL. Right, and you were a warrior out there, man. I mean, you <laughs> stayed on the field countless times. You know, like, whenever you have an Achilles injury, it's really hard, I think, to come back, get healthy, and stay healthy. The problem is, is that, for the most part, when, when, when Dante Jackson's been on the field, it feels like he's been a very productive number two corner and stuff like that. But I don't know about you, I still wonder in the back of my head, should they have invested in him over Stephon Gilmore? I don't know. And I and I think some of that was whether Stefan wanted to come back. Yeah, but I mean like he they went to Indianapolis. Well, Indianapolis was expected to be pretty good. That was a surprise bad team. Yeah, I mean I get that, but like, you know, hometown kid, you, you felt somewhat still optimistic going into year three under Matt Rule because you had, I mean if you didn't you were just a depressed human being, but that's Matt the, Rule in that era, they, or that regime, they really liked Dante. They they did, but you know that doesn't. I mean, I more like than me. You know, look, I like a lot of people, but I mean, it doesn't mean they like they like me back. Or do you invest in them? Well, no. I'm to your point. You're you're saying should Carolina have decided to go with Stephon Gilmore despite being older instead of Dante Jackson? I think that's a reasonable thing to ask. My thing was Matt Rule. As much as I've defended Dante being a fine number two corner. They loved him. And this was part of the problem. I always thought it was a little weird how much he would point to Dante Jackson, say how tough he was, and he was playing through injuries. And even if, look, so Dante Jackson played 16 games his rookie season. That was the only time he came close to that. He had 14 games, 13 games started in 2020. He played 12 and 21. He played nine last year. So this is someone that misses a lot of games or a decent amount every single season. And I just wonder how much Matt Rule was forcing him out there when he 100% wasn't ready. And there are rumblings, too, about how that's kind of how that regime operated yeah. and if you weren't tough enough then there was there was some level of chastising going on and you just wouldn't play but they they celebrated Dante almost in a way that makes me think it was probably bad for his future <laughs> I, I, I love Dante like I, I like the fire that he brings I want him out there covering your smaller faster wide receivers I think he's perfectly fine at that spot I just hope that he can this season hopefully with a better staff a better regime well, it certainly seems more competent. Hopefully, all of that points up for, uh, upward for Dante's health and his production. One of the things I think you got to like about him is if you go back to last year at training camp, there was a leadership role that, that, that he had taken on in, in the secondary and on that defense. And I think something that we, we really learned last year, uh, really before Steve Wilkes took over and, and put Carolina in playoff contention, there weren't a lot of leaders on that side of the ball. As great as a player as Brian Burns is, as good as a player Jeremy Chin is, Shaq Thompson, those types of guys are, there weren't a whole lot of leaders. Dante was a, a leader, but it's hard to lead when you're not on the football field 16, 17 times in a, in a season. Yeah, you're pointing a lot at Shaq Thompson, but then the other guys that are talented are somewhat young. So Brian Burns now, I think with another year under his belt, this seems like the jump that he makes to leadership, and I expect that to happen. I think he's kind of taken that on himself, by the way. J.C. Horn, still young enough to where he's not going to have more clout than a Brian Burns, Shaq Thompson, as it currently stands, even Derek Brown. 
down somebody that you intend mm-hmm. to invest in still a younger football player so when some of your best players on that side of the ball are still relatively young it probably is hard to garner leadership outside of Shaq Thompson but now it's kind of hitting at the right time coaching staff competent Frank Reich Derek Brown another year Brian Burns another year older and they're all here still I think now is probably where you see a more vocal type of leadership from those guys. It does feel like this team and this roster is kind of coming of age. And what's going to be interesting, because you know this is going to happen, is what's going to be the narrative from Matt Rule if this team goes 10-7, and 11-6? This buffoon will sit out there in the cornfields in Nebraska and say, see, I built them up. They didn't let me see it all the way through. Then they become a winner. I think with Burns, it's kind of like the inverse of becoming a leader with, with what we saw with LaMelo. You gave LaMelo $207 million, which kind of looks cheap now after what Jalen Brown got paid earlier today. Mm, it's a big contract. But, you know, for Brian Burns, after Carolina did not decided not to trade him, and if I was actual Scott Scott Fitter, if I was the real Fitty, his ass would have been shipped out to L.A. for what they were wanting. Mm, you got to put his ass on it. Mm, I mean, okay. Like, like, like that should have been something for him from an ownership standpoint. Okay, they believe in me. They value me. I'm going to become the face of this defense. I think that's going to happen more so this offseason. And we're, I think we're going to see that on display with camp starting fully tomorrow. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show... Alabama Senators Tommy Tuberville and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin have introduced a bipartisan bill aimed at addressing NIL issues in college sports earlier today. The bill is titled the quote-unquote Protecting Athletes, Schools, and Sports Act of 2023. The PASS Act, get it? See what they did there? The PASS Act of 2023 was characterized in a press release as the quote-unquote culmination of a year-long initiative in which Tuberville and Manchin collaborated with various parties to draft guidelines surrounding NIL compensation for student-athletes. The provisions outlined in this bill, and boy, there is some, uh, some interesting stuff here. The provisions outlined in the bill include the following. Requiring agents and collectives to register with a regulating body, Establishing a public-facing website to publish anonymized, that's a word, anonymized NIL data. Requiring all NIL contracts to be disclosed within 30 days. Another notable provision in the bill would require athletes to complete three years of residency at a given institution before being eligible to transfer without penalty. So again, the provision in this bill would state that you have to go three years at a given institution before you are eligible to transfer without penalty. 
doesn't say you can't transfer after a year. You just have to sit out. At least that's the implication there. Uh, currently, NCAA rules allow undergraduate athletes to transfer one time at any point in their college career with immediate eligibility. Joe Manson saying, quote, as a former college athlete, I know how important sports are to gaining valuable life skills and opening doors of opportunity. However, in recent years, we have faced a rapidly evolving NIL landscape without guidance and guidelines to navigate it, which jeopardizes the health of the players and the educational mission of colleges and universities, end quote. Uh, he also went on to urge his colleagues on both sides of the aisle to consider this common sense legislation as a way to level the playing field in college sports. Didn't you also say, Smoke, that there's something in here about student athletes not being allowed to sign NIL deals with what alcohol, tobacco and sexually explicit companies? Is that right? Uh, yes, this is something that Nicole Auerbach uh, ciphered through when she was looking at it. So uh, specifically, yeah. Big word. Uh, another interesting, this is according to Nicole Auerbach, this is in her words. Another interesting different piece of this bill is that is it specifically says athletes cannot enter NIL deals with sexually suggestive products, <laughs> alcohol products, sports betting companies, etc. So, oh, so hang on. And if I were to pull it up as it's taking a little while right now. So hold on, but just stop right there while you do that or I'll, I'll go. What is a sexually suggestive company? Who determines that? What is there a predetermined list of companies that you can't advertise with? Is a bathing suit company sexually suggestive? Because you know, bathing suits are you know pretty important toward swimming. Like and I'm just throwing one out there, right? Because we've seen, let's say on the female side, the Cavender twins, Olivia Dunn, others, other females. Let's be real. Some very good athletes in this category over the past couple of years, be it basketball, gymnastics, elsewhere, were great athletes. But many of them have capitalized on their good looks, and there's nothing wrong with that. Despite that Ethan Strauss article from a couple of months ago, I, you know, making it kind of weird. Like, why shouldn't Olivia Dunn or the Cavender twins, very attractive young women, be able to capitalize on that? Because there are so many other sectors of uh, the American economy where, you know, we proudly champion the phrase sex sells, or at least acknowledge it without any issue. So what's sexually suggestive? That's a really strange thing to, to force in there, right? Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the Cavender twins. They're... Uh, uh, pretty much officially signed with WWE now. They're right. training to become wrestlers. So they're also no longer student athletes. Right. That too. Well, yeah. But I mean, that them being nil and their popularity led to them to being WWE trainees now. So uh, let's. See. It's still kind of. But I get like the, the sports betting companies, I I understand. That makes sense. Yeah. I get that. Um. You know, and the the alcohol products we've seen that before. Um. We, does anybody out there feel strongly about that? And look, this bill may not pass. It may not pass. Hell, there are plenty of you out there, I'm sure, who laugh at the notion of, you know, Tuberville and Manchin actually putting something forward bipartisan for reasons that should be obvious if you follow politics. But um, like the alcohol company thing, I, that that one doesn't bother me. But for some, it might. I, I don't know how people feel about that one. What you got? So he, here it is. Uh, adult entertainment sexually suggestive products or sex-oriented products uh, services can't read that conduct imagery or infer inferences mm -hmm. alcohol products a casino or gambling uh, including sports betting and betting in connection with a video game or online game or on a mobile device tobacco marijuana or electronic smoking products vaping pharmaceuticals any I'm kind of having to read this. No, no, no you stop right there. But what, what it sounds to me is, though, like there's a lot of morality policing going on in, the, in this legislation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and look, I do think that there's there should be common ground in some of this. 
Um, you know, do you want your student athletes talking sex toys? Maybe not. I know that was jarring to anybody out there. But I mean, seriously, we're talking about sexually suggestive things and you got politicians trying to regulate who can do what. Like, I understand if you don't want Olivia Dunn, you know, at LSU promoting OnlyFans right before she does her, um, or, you know, her floor routine or whatever Olivia Dunn did at LSU. I don't know what kind of gymnast she was. Um, I understand that, right? You probably don't want Pornhub, you know, as part of your athlete's portfolio. Understood. But, like, is Victoria's Secret out? Is Bathing Suit Company out? And and why did Joe Manchin and Tommy Tuberville get to determine that? <laughs> That's what I'm I'm just wondering about this. Yeah, but it's very it's very ironic that you use moral police in about the next sentence you said Tommy Tuberville. Well, look, I, even without getting into, they're politicians, bro. What, what, I'm, I'm I'm talking more Tommy Tuberville's uh, coaching career. Okay, fair enough. Um, I just. I mean, the, the alcohol product makes a lot of sense for me. These are still largely young people. A lot of 18, 19, 20-year-old athletes, you know, that uh, you, you probably should stay away from that. Understood. But who determines what sexually suggestive is? What companies are out? What's acceptable? What's not? It didn't even really go into detail. It was still vague when I was describing it to you, Kyle. That's the thing. It's like, okay, in what way? So as you mentioned, Victoria's Secret, is that all right? I also do, do want to mention it did say firearms in this bill would also be off. I got no problem with that. Yeah. I mean, personally, I got no problem with that. It says someone who, was, who owns guns. I mean, I've got, I don't need to be marketed to by college athletes. Some of this stuff is common sense. That's okay. Guns, alcohol, you know, OnlyFans, Pornhub, like we all can generally agree on that stuff, on that stuff. But then you get into those blurred lines of, okay, sexually suggestive. I mean, you can't sponsor an underwear company. Like, if these women can't work with Victoria's Secret, can the dudes work with Duluth Trading Company underwear? You know. Jockey. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, heck, for crying out loud, I guess, would Hooters count underneath that, too? Mm. Sexually suggestive? Yeah. Mike says, KB, dimension, morality police in one sentence, and then start banning sexually explicit websites and alcohol in the next. Sounds to me like you're for making the rules as long as the rules agree with you. I, I, so what's what what's the better solution, Mike? Like I thought maybe we could all find some common ground on you know porn sites, guns, and alcohol. But are, are you saying that everything should go? Because by all means, make your case. I bet the majority would disagree with you, and I'm just going by what I think the majority would would be on board with. But if you disagree, tell me. I'm not here to tell people what to think. I'm just reacting to a bill that's been proposed by by two elected representative senators. You know, Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin, which, you know, may absolutely flop when it comes to a vote or it could become the law of the land because these university presidents and ADs are openly begging for help from these people, from Congress, from senators, from the feds. That, this is what they're asking for. Um, again, Mike just says, who decides? You. Mike, I don't know what that means. What do you mean? I'm not asking to decide. I'm asking what people think. 704-570-9610. 704 number said, KB, what is this Pornhub you speak of? <laughs> Not going there with you. Not going there yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, I, I meant to ask you that. <laughs> so can go, can, here's a great one. John Daly Jr. already has a deal with Hooters. Is that off the table? Is that sexually suggestive or explicit? Yeah, him with the Hooters girls? Like, I, like it's like, I mean, also, speaking of that, Angel Reese. She was literally on the, uh, one of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit models for this uh, swimsuit magazine this year. I, I don't know if it's still a magazine or not, but you get my point. Is that going to be allowed or not? Because that also files the success, the sexfully, wow, 
sexually suggestive stuff is it's way too vague. And I think it's one of the reasons why this bill is going to get shot down. Sure. So, again, Mike's, Mike's clarifying or trying to. He says, what if Pornhub comes to an athlete and offers them $1 million? Are you going to tell him that he can't take it? Mike, I can't explain this anymore. I'm not telling anybody anything. They're not asking me to run this. What I'm saying is I don't think there's a single athletics department in America that would want a student athlete on one of their teams openly endorsing Pornhub while they were an active student athlete at that university. Not one. Is Mike literally trying to say he would advocate a athlete getting paid by Pornhub without trying to say it outright? Because that's what it seems like. Like, dude, we kind of I think most people kind of understand what we're meaning by this. But he seems to be arguing arguing in semantics right now, which makes it seem very weird. Sure. Um, Good luck figuring all this out. Like, who's the czar that gets to make these decisions? Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? Now, again, I think there are some areas where the majority, not everybody, the majority of people out there would say, yeah, guns, alcohol, porn sites, probably not going to go that way. And and athletics departments are not going to want any student athlete in their purview or underneath their jurisdiction on one of their teams openly endorsing one of these things, and especially not in competition. So it kind of kind of sorts itself out in that sense. You tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.